0: Uh, we're looking at a, a really beloved story in in the Gospels. Um, we find the disciples, and they're in a very des- desperate situation, aren't they? They're literally in a chaotic storm, um, and and these some of them are experienced fishermen, and yet in the passage, we find them afraid. They're fearful. They're they're powerless over uh, over the, the 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 grand waves of nature. And yet with them in the boat, who do we find? It's the Lord Jesus, right? Mark's gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, calls the Lord Jesus. he's, He's the Christ, the Son of God. And in this passage, we see the Lord of creation rise up and speak to the storm and still this great storm, all with the power of his voice. It's a very simple and straightforward story. And yet, friends, it's one thing to know the story. It's one thing to even love the story. But would you agree with me that it's quite another thing to actually find yourself in the midst of a storm? And rest and trust in Christ. See, the the human heart, um, it's quick to say, verse 38, take a look at verse 38. Lord, do you even care? Teacher, do you care that we are perishing? And that's exactly why we need this text, because we need to see the overwhelming calmness of Christ in the midst of the chaos of life. And in a lot of ways, Mark is calling us to trust in this wonderful, powerful Lord. Uh, There was a a 19th century girl by the name of Isabella. Isabella, she she grew up in in New York City, and she grew up attending this really beautiful Episcopal church uh, on the corner of Broadway and East 10th Street it's a It's a church called Grace Church. And it was here at at Grace Church that Isabella she she fell in love with art. She fell in love with all things beautiful, which in a lot of ways, um it's a it's a wonderful testimony, isn't it, that the church helped her fall in love with beautiful things, and the church helped her fall in love with with art. I mean, she she was around sacred music, she was around um, religious art. and And she falls in love with it. Fast forward, um, she she's sixteen, she moves to Europe where she gets to experience, you know, European architecture and European art. And her passion grows. She eventually, she moves back to the States and she marries a guy by the name of John Gardner, who also happens to be a man who loves art. And he happens to be a member of a family in Massachusetts that is one of the wealthiest families in Massachusetts. They get married, uh, they move to Boston, and they eventually start traveling the world collecting art. And I guess when you're a rich art collector, um, you run into the problem that you fill your home with all this art and you don't know what to do with it. And so I, again, when you're rich, I mean, I guess the only option is to open up a museum. That's exactly what they did. Um, they opened up the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston and you can still go there to this day. But here's a story that I, wanna, I really wanna tell you. Um, in September of 1898, Isabella, she adds to her collection. She pulls out her 19th century purse. She writes this check for $6,000, which is a lot of money back then. And she becomes the owner of Rembrandt's 1633 painting, Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. You've probably seen it. It's this beautiful oil painting that really captures the chaos in our story. You'll notice in verse 37, Mark tells us, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. Matthew, Matthew's account in Matthew 8 says that they were getting swamped by the water. Luke's account in Luke chapter 8 says the boat was filling. And and Rembrandt, he does such a good job at capturing all the the chaos. I mean, if you've seen the painting, that even even the clouds are engulfing them. It's madness, right? This is is chaos. And tucked away in the right-hand corner of Rembrandt's painting, and in a lot of ways, tucked away in verse 38... Who do we find there? Jesus sleeping on a cushion. The, the overwhelming calmness of Christ in the midst of chaos. And right in the middle of Rembrandt's painting is this, you'll see this strange figure. So there's a man wearing a hat and he's holding onto a robe and he's staring right at you. And the art historians, they tell us that this is actually a self-portrait of Rembrandt. He paints himself into the painting. And I wonder if Isabella saw that when she bought the painting, because two months after she bought that painting, she, she bought it in September, and two months after she bought it, she didn't just own the painting, but she found herself in the midst of the storm. She found herself in the painting. Her husband dies. She's not just the owner of this beautiful painting, but she's actually in the storm. Friends, it's one thing to know the the story that all of us know. And it's quite another thing to actually find yourself in the storm, trusting the overwhelming power of Christ, the overwhelming calmness of Christ in your chaos. And friends, that's what Mark wants for you and, and me. He wants us to trust Christ, to trust the overwhelming calmness of Christ in the midst of a chaos and so here's what Mark does. He gives us three, three you might say he gives us three paintings. He, he, he gives us the real boat, the real Christ, the real storm. Those are the three things we're going to see this morning. The, the real boat, the real Christ, the real storm. So Mark, he, he wants us to see that the disciples, they're in a real boat. And, and the way that he does this is he, he gives us these tiny little details that Matthew's gospel doesn't give us that Luke's gospel doesn't give us, he, he, Mark gives us these details because he wants you to see they're in a real boat. So let's look at the text. You, you'll notice in verse 35, he, he gives the detail of the time. He says, on that day, in the evening, they're in a real boat. Okay, you know, what, what was happening during, you know, in the rest of the day? Well, it's all chapter four, isn't it? If you read all of chapter 4, then then you know Jesus, he's been teaching kingdom parables. Throughout the whole day, all of chapter 4, he's teaching kingdom parables. And now it's the evening, and they're in a real boat. He gives us the detail of the time. And and then in verse 36, you'll notice that Mark gives us kind of a a random detail, doesn't he? He says, and other boats were there. (laughs) This is a random detail. Like, Why tell us that? Well, in a lot of ways, it's because this is a a personal eyewitness story. Scholars say that, you know, Mark wrote his gospel probably with with Peter by his side. You know, Peter was in his ear and oh boy, Peter didn't forget this day. Right. You know, you can imagine Peter saying, you know, there were other boats there just like our real boat. And then in verse 36, um, he doesn't just give a random comment. He gives kind of a strange comment in verse 36. Take a look. He says, leaving the crowd, in verse 36, they took Jesus with them in the real boat, just as he was. Just as he was. Chapter 4, it began with Jesus teaching a a very large crowd. The, The large crowd comes and they flock to Jesus. It's by the sea. And if you've read Mark's gospel, then you know something similar happens in Mark chapter 3. Jesus, he was teaching by the sea, and this wave of people, this surge of people come to Jesus. He's teaching by the sea, and this wave comes to him, and they almost crush him. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, there's a large crowd. And from morning to evening, Jesus Christ, he's teaching from a real boat. And now they leave and he's still in the real boat. Listen, Mark wants you and I to see this is a real boat and you're probably thinking, okay, so what? What's the point? And here it is. Mark's gospel, it's it's fast paced and it's straightforward. If you've read Mark's gospel, you know that one of his favorite words to use is immediately, immediately, immediately. Jesus is constantly on the move. In, in Mark's gospel, but you'll notice that here in this passage, Mark slows down. And he wants you to see that the disciples of Christ, they're in a real boat. That real boat, it's about to go into the storm. And, and you might ask the question, why? And here's why. Because Mark wants you and I to see that really following Christ, r- real discipleship, Genuine discipleship. You know what it comes with? It comes with real boats that oftentimes go into into the storms of life. That truly following Jesus, listen, does not exempt you from the real boats. It does not give you a pass on the real boats that oftentimes go into chaotic seasons. But Mark is saying, followers of Christ, verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the real boat. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking as they're in the real boat and as they're in the midst of the storm? I mean, you know, Jesus, we left our fishing nets to follow you. We left the tax booth to follow you. I mean, we've been sitting at your feet. I mean, the religious leaders, they want to kill you. Your own family in chapter 3, they think you're crazy. But we're your disciples. We're sitting at your feet. So why the real boat? Why are we in the storm? And I wonder if if you've ever found yourself asking that and thinking that, Jesus, I've been following you. Jesus, I I confess you in in such a secular age, when everyone is denying you, when people don't believe you, when people reject you, I confess you. Jesus, I'm, I'm following you. Everyone else seems to be apathetic, but my discipleship, it's genuine, it's real. And so why the chaos? Why the real boat? Why the storm? And maybe we forget the discipleship, friends. It comes with real boats that oftentimes go through storms and trials and tribulations of life. There's a book that has really impacted me um, this year. Um, It's a book by uh, the Russian author, Leo Tolstoy. It's it's a book called The Death of Ivan Illich. And and the main character in the book, he's wrestling with the question, why the chaos? And and Ivan, he's this guy. He he longs to move into Russian high society, and he has a plan to do it. He he believes the right things, and he does the right things. And so he he believes the you know the aristocratic beliefs and values. He marries a woman because you know that, that's kind of the cultural thing that you need to do. And, and so he believes the right things, and he does the right things. And then he finds out he's dying. And he's wrestling with the question all throughout the book, why the chaos? Why the storm? This is what he says. He says, "Um, maybe I did not live as I should have. But how not if I did everything one ought to? He would say to himself and at once drive the sole solution to the whole riddle of life and death away from him as something completely impossible. I believe the right things. I did the right thing. So why the chaos? Why the storm? And friend, maybe, maybe that's your view of the Christian life. Maybe, maybe you define discipleship like Ivan defined life. It's just, what's discipleship? It's just about knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. And so maybe for you, maybe you say, you know, my life with Christ, it's, it's defined primarily by knowing. And you say, I- I'm reformed. I have good theology. At the breakfast table, I read John Calvin, and I am reformed. So, so let the storms come. Let the chaos come, because I will be able to give you a, a definition of sovereignty. Let the storms come. And you define the discipleship primarily by knowing. Or maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you think, you know, my, my life, it's, it's my life with Christ, it's primarily doing things for Christ. And so I obey, I evangelize, I serve in the church. I even serve in the kids ministry. I, I do all of these things for Christ. So, so let the storms come because I'll be too busy serving in the church, evangelizing. I'll, I'll be way too busy. My life with Christ, it's primarily knowing, it's primarily doing. And yet, yeah, friend, the day comes when you find yourself like Ivan. Why the riddle? Why the storm? Why the real boat? And maybe our discipleship misses the core essential. The core essential element. Of course, knowing things about Christ is important. Of course, obeying is important. But it seems to be that Mark's gospel, it really, it it wants you to see that discipleship is first and foremost being with Christ. Sitting at his feet knowing that he's your Lord, even in the midst of the storm. And friend, would you agree that that's a hard thing to do? Some of you know uh, the name of Samuel Rutherford. He was a 17th century Scottish minister. And in uh, 1636, he's exiled to Aberdeen for his Presbyterian views. And in in exile, he writes these letters that are just filled with the, the presence and the comfort of Christ. Um, if you've ever read the letters, then then you know that um, you're reading the letters of a man who's in the storm. He's in a real boat, and yet he's overwhelmed with the loveliness of Christ. Um, just listen, listen to what he says in one letter. He says, "If your Lord calls you to suffering, do not be dismayed, for He will provide a deeper portion of Christ in your suffering." And then, then this is this is the line that's great. He says. The softest pillow will be placed under your head, though you must set your bare feet among thorns. You're standing, your bare feet are standing among thorns, and yet Christ is your pillow. Friend, how do you get there? How how do you get to a place where you're standing, your bare feet, you're standing on thorns, and you can say, Christ is my portion. Christ is my pillow. But Christ is my all. I'm in the real boat, but Christ is my pillow. How do you get there? Well, when you're in the real boat, you need to look to the real Christ. That's that's the second thing that we see in this passage: the the, the real Christ. And you'll notice what, what is the real Christ doing in the passage? Verse thirty-eight. He's he's sleeping on a pillow. Jesus was in the stern of the real boat asleep on the real cushion. Um, Mark is is, uh, is actually the only gospel writer to give us those details, that he's in the stern, that he's, he's on the real cushion. And you can imagine Peter. You can imagine Peter saying, I mean, how, how could I forget Jesus in the storm on the cushion? Like the, the chaos was crazy. How could I forget the chaos? Friends, in a lot of ways, um, this is... This is the experience of life, right? We're able to remember the vividness of the chaos. Like, you might not remember what you had for dinner last night. But, oh, boy, you can remember what happened to you five years ago. The chaos from 10 years ago. The chaos from 30 years ago. You might not remember your high school days or your uni days. But, oh, boy, you remember waking up with angst. Identity struggles. Depression. You might not remember the name of that person, but you will never forget what that person said to you. You'll never forget what that person did to you. Jesus, he's sleeping on the cushion in the midst of the chaos. And Mark wants to show us two things about the real Christ. The real Christ, number one, he's a real human. And secondly, the real Christ is is really God. God. So Mark's gospel, it confronts us with one of the most important questions that anyone can, can think about or anyone can wrestle with. See, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to wrestle with this question. And it's the question of who is Jesus? And Mark is saying, well, let, let me tell you who he is. He's a real human. Verse 38, Jesus, he's, he's taking a nap sleeping, right? You know, some of you might be big nappers. Um, you love your Sunday naps. Um, I, I'm, I'm not much of a napper, but my body needs it, right? I'm a real human. I, I need real sleep. I need real naps. That's verse 38. Jesus, he's a real human that needs real sleep. He's been teaching all day. Mark presents to us a Jesus on the go. He's, he's tired. He needs sleep. And friend, do you find that amazing? Do you find that amazing? I mean, we have a whole holiday to celebrate this, a whole doctrine to celebrate this, right? Christmas and the incarnation, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Lord of Lord, or King of Kings, yet born of Mary, Lord of Lords and human vesture in the body and the blood. The real Jesus, he's a real human. And, and you might think, well, then how is he sleeping through the storm? Right? I mean, Mark's pretty clear. Rembrandt's clear. This is, it's, it's, this is proper chaos. Like, is Jesus just a heavy sleeper? Is that what it is? Friend, here's, here's why Jesus is so calm. And here's the lesson for us. The real Jesus, who's a real human, he's resting in the care of his heavenly father. And what a lesson for us to learn. Resting in the care of our Heavenly Father when we're in the storm. You know what why is it that you you and I, why is it that we stay awake up, you know, stay awake all night thinking, have I done enough, anon- have I done enough in life? Am I going anywhere in life? Will my kids turn out alright? Well, why is it that we just can't find the time to rest? And it's hard for us to rest in the Father's heavenly care. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, um, you, you know the passage, he says, When you're anxious, consider the lilies, consider the birds. I mean, if, if God cares for them, he can care for you too. And friend, you know this that deep down in your heart, you say, Yes, yeah, so what? I, I see the lilies, I see the birds, but listen, they're not in the chaos. I'm in the chaos. I'm in the storm. The birds are chirping. They sound happy. I'm in the chaos. I'm in the real boat. And, and we tend to get in, you know, in, in the this, in this season of life sometimes where it's so easy to doubt God's care for us. And we sort of take on our chaos and our suffering as, as our identity. And, and we say things like, I, I, who, who am I? I am one who suffers. That, that is the truest thing about me. That, that is my identity. And, and friend, do you see that when you're in the storm, it's so easy for us to take on suffering as our primary identity. I'm one who suffers. And if your identity is first and foremost one who suffers and not first and foremost, I am a child of, of God. It's going to be hard for you to find rest. Do you know what the real Jesus is saying? He's saying, I took on the identity of a suffering servant so that you can have rest. The real Jesus, he, he rests in his father's care and so can we. And oh boy, friends, he, here, here's the mystery of our faith. That the real man on the cushion, he's also really God. See, Mark, Mark's gospel, it's already shown us Jesus, his, the divinity of Jesus at his baptism, in his miracles, in his teaching. Um, this, the real human is also really God. You know, may, maybe you know the old, uh, the old Chalcedonian Creed. I wonder if you've ever heard of that, the Chalcedonian Creed. It's the first time we hear the words that Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person fully God and fully man. It's the mystery of our faith. And, and you'll notice that in the passage, the creed is on display. Verse 38, the, the disciples, they're afraid. And because Jesus Christ is really a human, they're able to take their hands. They're able to touch the flesh of Christ. They're, they're able to say, Jesus, do you not care? Do you not feel the water... You know, splashing on your face, the the boat is sinking. Teacher, do you not care? And of course, you you know the story. And yet, for some reason, we still find ourselves asking the question Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus, don't you care about me? You know who cares about me, Jesus? My job. My, My job cares about me, it provides financially. It provides financial stability. It makes me feel alive. It gives me a reason to live. My job cares for me. Jesus, you know who cares about me? I care about me. You know, I I would never allow my life to go into a chaotic storm. I I protect myself. I know what's best for me. Jesus, my friends care for me. My phone cares for me. Netflix cares for me. Alcohol cares for me. All All sorts of things care for me. But do you care for me? And some of us know this by way of personal experience, that when anything besides God becomes a false God, an idol in your life, when anything becomes your God, it crushes you. When you become your own God, you crush yourself. It's only the real God in Jesus Christ who cares. You'll notice in verse 39, and Jesus awoke. You might even say that he, he resurrected from his slumber and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The real Jesus has this overwhelming power over nature. And the disciples are there and they see the way that the Lord calms the storm. And yet you'll notice verse 41, the the disciples, they're they're confused about the real Jesus, aren't they? What what do they ask in verse 41? Who is this? The storm was calmed. The real Christ calms the storm. And and they're asking verse 41, who, who is this? And here's why. Because in order for us to know the real Christ, to see the real Christ, we don't just need to see him calm the storm. We actually need to see the real Christ calm the real storm. The real boat, the real Christ, and lastly, the real storm. See, friend, um, there's a reason why Rembrandt didn't paint the end of his painting uh, or paint the end of the story. Because in a lot of ways, would you agree that it's, it's almost impossible to capture such calmness, such overwhelming calmness in the passage? And this is why we need Mark's painting in the passage. After seeing Jesus rebuke the storm, verse 41, the disciples, they were filled with great fear, with awe, with reverence. And they said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the waves and the sea, they obey him. And, and Mark, um, he becomes something of a sacred art historian, doesn't he? I mean, he kind of says, you know, come over here. Come, come into the gallery and, and let me show you. Let, let me show you the contrast here. B- verse 37, a great storm arose. It's experiential. It's felt. It's massive. It's overwhelming. Verse 37. But then you'll notice in verse 39, the great calmness. It's experiential. It's overwhelming. It's massive. It's experience and it's real. And Mark is basically saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's the brush of faith. Take the brush of faith and paint yourself into the painting. Trust Christ. It's the whole point of the story. See, friend, you might be here this morning and you find yourself in chaos, you find yourself in a desperate situation. And so you can relate to the next stories that Mark tells in his, in his gospel. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, there's a demon-possessed man. He's a man who's lived among the tombs, and he's, he's lived among the tombs because he's overpowered by a demon that's within him. People try to help him. The demon is destroying his life, and it's a desperate situation because nobody can help him. There's a demon within him. It's destroying his life, and it's a desperate situation and then Jesus steps in. Or the, the following story after that, chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. There's a powerful man. His name is Jairus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And Jairus enters into one of the darkest boats and the darkest storms that anyone in this life can ever go through. He has a daughter, this powerful man named Jairus. He has a daughter, a little daughter. She's sick and she dies. And then Jesus steps in. Chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. There's a woman who's suffering from a medical condition. She's been suffering for 12 years. She's, She's gone to all the doctors. No one is able to help her. She's getting worse. She's been suffering for 12 years. And then Jesus steps in. See, if Jesus steps in, if he's in the real boat, if he's in your real chaos, And you can hear him say the words, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And of course, the natural pushback is to say, Well, Jesus helped them. He he helped them when they were in the storm, but listen, I'm still in the storm. I'm in the Rembrandt painting with permanent marker. Jesus, do you even care? I'm in the storm. Do you care? And friend, the way that you can trust the real Christ, the way that you know the real Christ cares about you is by looking at his real storm. See, the the disciples in this passage, they see Jesus calm the storm. Who's a real storm? But they still say the question, who is this? Who is this? That is the big question all throughout the gospel of Mark. The religious leaders don't get him. His own family doesn't get him. His disciples don't get him. Who, who is Jesus? Listen, it's not until chapter 15, verse 39, that there's someone who gets it. It's the most ironic person. It's the centurion when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. Chapter 15 of Mark, verse 39, the centurion says, truly this man is the son of God. Friend, it's only, it, it's the cross the real storm, where the disciples and where you and I come to understand who is this Christ? We, we come to understand his overwhelming power, his overwhelming, his overpowering greatness. And we, we come to see the peace that he can give you. See, you, you might put it like this. Um, the real Jesus, he paints himself into the real storm of the cross. And do you know what Jesus does in the real storm? He exchanges the pillow from Mark chapter 4, where the, the pillow where his head is laying, the cushion, and that becomes a crown of thorns. You know what he does? He, he, he exchanges the waves from Mark chapter 4, the, the waves that are crushing and, and filling up the boat, and he exchanges the water and the waves for the wrath of God that crushes him on the cross. He exchanges the sleep the slumber of Mark chapter four, and on the cross, he actually dies. And he does that, friend. He goes through the storm so that you and I can know that we have a God who cares. That we have a Lord who cares and loves us so much that he was crushed to give you life. That he lost his calmness to give you peace. And Mark, the gospel writer, is saying, look to Christ, Look at his loveliness. Look at his power. Look at his greatness. Look at his love for you. Trust in him. Trust in him. And here's why we can trust the power and the loveliness of Christ. Um, When Jesus at the cross, when he died and he resurrected, he went to his disciples and if you remember the story in the Gospels, um, the, the disciples after the cross, they're afraid. They're hiding out. They're in a room. You, you, you might even say they're in a real boat. And yet Jesus Christ, he goes to them. And I've always found it interesting that Jesus doesn't lose the scars. He goes to these confused disciples and he, he keeps the scars and he shows them the scars because he wants them to know that, listen, after death, there is resurrection After the storm, there is great peace. And Jesus Christ, he speaks to you and me today. And he says, don't be afraid. Look at the real storm. Look look, look at the cross. Don't be afraid. Look at what I've done for you. When you find yourself in the real storm, in the real boat, Mark is trying to tell us, look to the real Christ. He went to the cross He died, he resurrected to give you and I hope. And the passage is simple, friends. Trust in Christ in your chaos and you will experience an overwhelming calmness because you will experience the Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that um, life is hard and it comes with many storms. There are many people in this room, Lord, that are probably going through really dark storms. And so we pray that your spirit would help us all experience Christ and know that you are the God who became a man of sorrows. You are the Lord who was born to die. You are the Lord that went to the cross to resurrect and to give us hope of the resurrection. And so we pray, Lord, that the spirit of the living God would press that truth upon our minds and our hearts and we would indeed be confronted with the overwhelming calmness of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.